Hey, Harpy Hour fans. Here's a new way to earn yourselves a coveted Harpy Hour logo sticker and get a shout out from us in an episode. Just tag us at Harpy Hour Pod on an original social media post. So not a retweet, but something you wrote yourself telling your friends how much you love us. Next, DM us your mailing address straight from your social media account or email us along with a screenshot of your post to harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com. You won't get another sticker if you already got one in our last giveaway, but let your friends know anyways so they can participate and get a matching sticker. We're only giving away up to 20 stickers, but if you miss out, you can also get one by supporting us on Patreon. Now, before you enjoy the episode, check out this promo from another awesome podcast to add to your list and stick around for Harpy Hour. Hi there, nerdlings. I'm Ash. And I'm Nat. We're the host of Crime Time Nerds, a podcast that focuses on lesser-known investigations, unsolved cases, and small-town crimes. Join us as we pick up our flashlights and begin our search for answers as we venture down those dark, true-crime paths together. Join us every Sunday as we explore the nature of these often heinous and heartbreaking cases. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or your normal podcast provider. You can visit our website at crimetimenerds.com or follow us on our social media platforms. Don't forget to trust your gut, and we hope you join us each and every week. Harpy Hour may contain explicit language, as well as graphic, violent, and sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Harpy Hour. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. We're going to do it. We're doing it live. We're the Harpies. We're doing it. Here we go. Who are you? Yeah, that's, that's you, your... Liz. <laughs> nope, nope. I said we're the Harpies. Oh, that's, fuck. That's it's me. you, Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. I'm Tracy, and I'm just going to do it. I'm Liz, and I am not doing whatever we're doing anymore. <laughs> I'm Steph, and I'm totally just going to do it. You just do it. We're doing it. We love it. Let's just do it. They don't even know what they're doing. No, we don't. That's accurate. <laughs> We're quoting something that we don't remember. That's accurate. But you know what? We committed. <laughs> but we committed. They're committed to this bit of which they don't know the origin. Accurate. Do it for like my entire six. Oh, Good luck with that. God, it's going to yeah. be like an eight hour segment if I continue <laughs> with that pace. <laughs> that time we did the eight hour segment. <laughs> This is our podcast where we share ridiculous stories in history, science, and entertainment. I don't know how to keep doing that. Okay. <laughs> Liz is not committed. No, she's not committed to doing it. Guys, I have a major update from one of my old segments. Oh, oh God. Yes. Okay. And I saw it like two weeks ago, but it was like right after we had just recorded our last segment. I was like, so oh my God, I need to on this? this. I've been sitting on it. Yes. Okay. I'm so ready. you remember my segment about the cults that came to Hawaii and was kicked out of Kauai? Yes. yes. Love has won with the crazy woman who was yes. like just high all the time and abusing her yes. followers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Around who's now in Colorado. Wait, I thought it was the guy 
who like recruited the group down to Costa Rica and then nope, they, that's like, the other one. No, that's that's a separate one. That was um Carbon Nation. Okay. There's two that I talked to you about. The one that was Carbon Nation where they went to Costa Rica and smelled really bad. The other one was started in Colorado, tried to move to Hawaii during the pandemic, got like a lot of backlash from the people in Kauai, and then they ended up coming back to Colorado. Yeah, they're still here. Okay. I thought the one from Costa Rica went to Hawaii at some point, right? Yes, they both came to Hawaii, yeah. both of these cults. Okay. Yeah. But this is the love has won that with Mother God. Right. Yeah. You know, that one Mother where she like, screamed at people and she had this whole website about like giving her gifts and shit. Mm-hmm. Her name was Amy Carlson. Okay. Her body, her mummified body oh, stop. was found in a house uh, like a week or two ago. She. What? Yeah. So when she came to Kauai, they said she had like some kind of cancer or something. Okay. So they think she probably died of natural causes. But then. So what happened was one of her followers. Or of cancer. Probably. Well. Or just general something else, bad health. Yeah. I mean, she drank a lot. She did a lot of drugs. Like, could be a lot of things. But okay. So one of her followers was like going away for a week or something, and told other followers like, "Hey, you can use my house while I'm gone." He comes <laughs> back and he finds the dead, like mummified corpse of Amy Carlson in one of his back bedrooms. The eyes were missing. Her nope. like what? teeth nope. were like pushing through her like gums, and she had like glittery makeup around her eyes or something like that and her body was wrapped in like a sleeping bag and a bunch of like uh christmas lights that's how you'll find me if i die camping yeah there was like a whole like in a bag (laughs) with with glittery eyeliner and christmas (laughs) lights wrapped around me how long does it take a body to mummify so i think they they thought that she was gone for like uh like passed away for a couple of weeks or something but they were essentially made this like shrine to like worship her. So there was like seven of her followers well, I think, I like in that. the house, and also there was two children. Two weeks, in the house. according to according to Google, two weeks yeah. to mummify. There was also a couple of children in the house, like I think a two year old and a thirteen year old. Nope, nope. So like nope. this guy comes back from vacation and finds this, and he's like, "The fuck! Like, what are you guys doing?" And he called the police. Oh, so wait, you said they made a shrine to her. Can we yeah. go back to that? Was that when they found like so after they found her body, they made a shrine that is what or they, yeah there's not like a clear i can't find an article with a clear or delineation is the shrine the or her body was the, enshrined when they found it yeah when this guy came home he found like her body in this condition okay in the shrine that, condition right so they believe like okay. the the whole thing was i guess some kind of like a shrine because mother god had ascended because like you know this was like her 300 something reincarnation right so she just reascended or something oh sure yes yeah something you know she came back so many times but yeah, so now there's like seven people arrested for like abuse of a corpse and like child abuse. There's also like I think there was something about like false imprisonment because one of the one of the people said they were not like allowed to leave the house or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Amy Carlson has died, and her wow. her followers made a batshit crazy shrine to her out of her Damn. corpse. So she wasn't alone in the house when she had other people were staying there. Yes. A bunch Children. of people now I house. understand. Right. Yeah, a bunch of people okay. stayed at this house. Either that or like she passed away elsewhere and they brought her to the house to make the shrine. Unclear. Yeah. But either way, like there were people staying at this house who were part of this cult. That's terrifying. And made a shrine of her body. No thanks. No it's thanks. Bananas. I really wish she didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they hadn't done that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't mind a shrine, you know, if yeah, it were but I don't want a place be. of respect. Leave my eyeballs alone. Yeah. <laughs> That's you, unnecessary. There's only one good one. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Oh my God. What if they took your good eye? 
<laughs> and you went into the afterlife with your one bad eye. <laughs> what a dick move. I told you guys, right? I call it my looking eye and my joking eye. Yep. <laughs> I forgot about that. Whenever I have any kind of like an eye injury now or something, like if something flies into my eye, Eric's like, is that your looking eye or your joking eye? <laughs> it's my joking eye. It's fine. <laughs> I didn't even notice it because it's, it's the my spare. Joke and I. <laughs> the air and the spare. Kill the spare. Yes. Oh my god, I hate it. <laughs> I just wish they didn't do that. I think Liz wishes that we wouldn't just do this. <laughs> I'm thinking. I want to know what it is <laughs> that you're even referencing and how embarrassed Same. you're going to be. Same. There's no way to look it up. I tried to Google, let's just do it. And they it's and gonna it be did all not Nike. come up. It's going to be it, Nike. It just did do it. not come up. Yeah. Well, Steph. Yes. What else are you going to share with us today? Today, we're going to talk about our humps. Our humps. Our lovely, our lovely lady, lady lumps. lumps. Yes. Yes. Check it out. So today we're going to talk about the history of the bra, Ooh. Yes. a.k.a. the over-the-shoulder boulder holder, the knocker locker, <laughs> the tit slinger, the balloon cocoon, and the flopper stopper. The flopper stopper. <laughs> oh, I that's found my new so fave. many of those, but I just picked my favorites. <laughs> oh my flopper gosh. Stopper. I also found a bunch of slang words for boobs that will be sprinkled throughout my segment. Excellent. I like balloon cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> ready i'm ready and waiting so a few months ago i decided to break up with victoria's secret and began the quest for a bra that was actually comfortable and that i one that i wasn't like dying to tear off my body at the end of the day which by the way the feeling that you get when you take your bra off at the end of the day is also called salad in the wind so says Urban Thesaurus. <laughs> Salad in the wind? I thought you were going to say like some sort of German word, like, no. you know, something that only right, right, right. is Salad a word in, in the another wind? language. Googling yeah, it. Yeah, nope. Salad, Salad in, the wind. in the wind. So says Urban Thesaurus. That is not a feeling. <laughs> and it seems to me that you lived your life. Like yes, a salad sir, in the wind. Is blowing in the Are wind. Are there tossing your salad euphemisms? Not, not related to the titties. Mm. What if anyway. I want to get my salad tossed? I mean, that I seems like a different think, segment. <laughs> I used to think that salad tossing just was another euphemism for sex. Apparently it's not, it specifically means butt it's stuff. It's not. Like mouth to butt stuff. It's rim jobs, yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I you didn't did either. not know that? No, I thought yeah. it was just a like sex <laughs> no it's a rim job why is yeah. that tossing a salad i don't know I, I why mean, would I sex be tossing it. a salad <laughs> why would anything? i don't want salad in my sex <laughs> that's not how this works that's not how any of this works <laughs> so when i was started my quest for the perfect bra i remember i crowdsourced you ladies and our other friends in our group chat mm -hmm. you know yeah. for recommendations it's i went true. to a store i got sized professionally for the first time in a couple years and I tried on like a fuck ton of bras and the whole thing is so frustrating because the size that I measure to is never the size that actually fits me because I put on the size that I measure to and I end up with a quadra boob. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the whole thing just sucks. And this is probably why, you know, you see, you've probably seen before, like people say like, oh, like 80% of women don't wear the right bra size or something. Do you guys know how to measure your bra size? There's like the, ba the 
not the waist part, the part beneath your boobs. The band. Is your, mm-hmm. yeah, is your band. And then like for each, and then it's like the, you measure the your, tip. yeah, around the like widest part of your boobs. Mm-hmm. And that difference in inches is your cup size. Right. Sort of. So first you measure the band size right underneath your boobies. And then if it's an even number, you add four. If it's an odd number, you add five. And that's your band size. Why? Why? We'll get into that later, but it's an idiotic and archaic system. Okay, great. Then you measure the fullest part of your yayas, and that <laughs> difference is what you go with. So the, you math it out. You, minus, you take the bust nope. size minus Too your band math. size. Don't like it. That's your cup size. So if like the difference between your band with that plus four or five and the boobies, if that's zero, you're a double A, one is an A, two is a B, three is a C, et cetera. And that's how you get the number and the letter for your bra size. But for me, that's still not right. I don't know about you ladies. So basically it's just a starting point and then you go to trial and error. Apparently I've been doing it wrong. So yeah. Why wear a bra? Well, some people think that bras were invented by men to make breasts look more attractive and move around less. But they also are quite practical, especially if you're doing anything active. Like I would never dream of hiking or doing a kickboxing class or anything without a bra. Yeah, that's true. That fucking hurts, man. Yeah. Yeah. When I started working out like more seriously last year, like when I got a personal trainer and everything, I was like, oh my God, I got my first like heavy duty compression bra. Mm-hmm. So just like it's necessary. keep them locked in. I remember... Like in high school, I went on a wooden roller coaster and I was wearing one of those tank tops that have the built-in bra, quote yes, unquote. Yes, those are lies. The shelf bra things. It's just like an those elastic band. Lies. All it is yeah. is an elastic band that sits under your boobs and does absolutely nothing. I remember riding this wooden roller coaster and being like in so much pain afterwards. I'm like, I feel like my boobs must have just like launched off and smacked my neighbor in the face because it just they were moving around so much. It was so painful. So yeah, bras support the fun bags, help the torso muscles and spine get into better alignment. So there's a lot of reasons that women slash people with breasts wear bras and have a love-hate relationship with them. PSA, I'm going to mostly be referring to women in this segment because it's a historical dive, but I do recognize and acknowledge that there are, in recent times especially, people of different gender identities, not everyone's binary. Some people wear bras that are not women, quote-unquote, or don't identify as women. This is just the historical facts, and I'm simplifying it by saying women. Okay. Understood. Don't at me. Ancient times. Let's talk about ancient bras. Oh. Minoan art from the 14th century shows female athletes wearing a cloth band around their tatas. And this was called a apodesmos, which is a piece of wool that fastens in the back with some pins and sounds horribly itchy and uncomfortable. Mm. Really just the Middle Ages are uncomfortable in general. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll get to the Middle Ages. We're not there yet. Okay. Okay. It also shows women of this time wearing corsets. Corset rant forthcoming. Stand by. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Loading. Yeah. Buffering. Then in ancient Rome, there was the strophium, which was a simple cloth band that women often kept on during sex, probably because it was too much of a pain in the ass to try to take it off. Mm. Modern men have difficulty navigating two small, like, hook and eye clasps. I can't imagine them trying to figure this thing out. <laughs> yeah. So, impatience, they didn't take it off. They left it on. That's There's, fair. like, art showing women wearing only, like, this band during sexy times. The Roman mosaic called The Coronation of the Winner suggests that women wore some kind of a breast band and briefs while exercising. Unclear if this is, like, 
normal standard workout attire or just like what this art showed, but strapless bra during exercise, no thank you. Mm-hmm. Don't want to do it. Medieval times. In 2008, there were four lacy undergarments found in a castle in Austria, which carbon dated to the 1400s. Ooh. There were three different styles. The first two were this like high-necked situation with like fabric going above the cups to cover the cleavage. I think they call that full coverage. And they were, yes, <laughs> sleeveless and cut just below the boobs. And when I saw the qualifier of sleeveless, I was like, oh my God, were there bras with sleeves? That yes. sounds terrible. Oh no. <laughs> that being said, Sleeve I did not bras. find any sleeved bras. I mean, some of those shelf bras are kind of sleeves for your boobs. Yeah, mm-hmm. it might also be like, if you just consider like a garment that has like, almost like a corset. Yeah. Obviously with sleeves, like boning or something supportive built into it. Yeah. Might be considered like a bra with sleeves. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't find any like shirt type bras where they had like real sleeves, but they qualified it as sleeveless, which was alarming. Mm. (laughs) Another one of these bras had like wide shoulder straps and some kind of back strap situation. Okay. And then the other one was like a kind of like a modern long line bra of today. It's like these linen cups that joined like between the breasts and the fabric went down just below the ribs. But then it had this like eyelets on the left side to tighten it like a corset. Like, can you get into any of these things on your own? I feel like no. I'm going to send you guys a photo of my face in our group chat as you are <laughs> describing this. <laughs> well, I feel like here, a, here it is. <laughs> all sorts of historical garments for women were like not easy to get into and needed the assistance of maids or at least of people of certain class right. maybe like you know obviously maybe there yeah were... it's a group effort yeah but it's like how long does it take you to get ready just for like the average like day-to-day life it seems like it's like a whole process like between like the clothing that took like eight hours to get on and the undergarments but then also like the hair and everything else they did back then i'm like jesus christ by the time you're ready for the day it's like 4 p.m yeah I hate well, it. Well, you don't do anything except except <laughs> guests and then wait for your <laughs> husband to take you to uh, a social engagement at in the evening. This is true. You have all day. You got nothing. No other responsibilities. I guess. I guess. If you're like the aristocracy, but like... Yes, yes, all, yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that people who like aren't of a certain class probably weren't wearing that level of garment. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, they were just wearing like bloomers and like... Uh, yeah. I don't know, blouse of some kind. Yeah, but could you These, imagine doing field work in like no bra? <laughs> oh, or no bra. It'd be like, well, like I said, any kind of like flying in the wind. Yeah. I mean, I think that would salad be in the wind better than, uh, you know, a contraption like that that doesn't have. I mean, there's no healthy medium, yeah. there's no in between. Not at this point in time. <laughs> Ugh. So, speaking of the corset, let's talk about that for a little bit. From the Renaissance to the early 20th century, the corset was the main option women in the Western world had to tame their lovely lady lumps. Mm. When the corset first hit the scene in the early 1300s, they were really more about, like, shaping the waist rather than, like, supporting or shaping your melons. A long, slim waist was considered desirable back then, and to achieve this look, women wore what was called a cot. C-O-T-T-E, cot. And initially, the cot was something worn by both genders over top of a shirt. 
But over time, it was like transformed and became this essentially like shapewear that women wore under their clothes, but over their shifts. The shifts was Mm -hmm. like that long underslip that they would wear. The cot stiffened over time to the point that it could basically stand up on its own, which sounds, all of this sounds horrible. Yeah, is that from like their sweat that then just like dries in it or something? Like, why does it stiffen over time? Um, well, I think the, probably the, the firm material that was in it and then maybe just dries out or stiffens with sweat. I can't imagine they were like washing it that well. I don't, I don't know. It just gets, the material that it's made of just gets stiff over time, and this thing could just, like, stand up on its own. In the 1600s, the corset, still popular, was finally divided into two pieces. So the upper part had steel running through it to to help it hold its shape. Hard pass. And then the bottom part was, like, the cot or a skirt. Steel! No, thank you. Steel! We have, like, metal in our underwire. Yeah, but it's not, like, running through the entire thing. It's not the whole thing. It's not stainless yeah. and the, steel. The underwire is a little more flexible than what this is describing, I feel like. Ugh. Again, the main goal was not to support the chesticles, but rather give the women an hourglass shape by squeezing their waist really tight and then pushing their lady nuts up to the point that they were overflowing off the top. Especially when you paired it with the gowns with the low square necklines that were fashionable at this time. So, that was that look. Sounds horrible. Mm. No, thank you. I hate it. I hate it. Finally, the corset started to evolve into the bra. There were two movements that occurred simultaneously that helped us finally move away from the corset. Health professionals started to express concern about how squeezing your waist and your ribs into a steel-lined stiff garment every day to give you an unnatural body shape might not be good for your health and may be kind of cruel. Yeah, Weird. Displaces your organs. (laughs) You think? Did you know that Emma Stone, she was in that one movie where she had to wear a corset and it literally moved her organs? What? Real story. What to wear? Hold on. Emma Stone, corset organs. Corset organs. (laughs) I like just read this. I'm trying to find. Well, also having a baby moves your organs. I mean, yeah, but at least that's like normal and natural. Whereas, well, so we know the body can withstand having its organs moved. The favorite <laughs> depends where they're moving and why yeah. and how. I would imagine uh, the movie was the favorite, and she, her first time wearing a corset for the part, and it literally shifted her organs for the historical period drama. Sounds awful, but imagine doing that. Every day for your, like, entire adult Well, life. I mean, I imagine women just thought their spleen was supposed to be in their throat, you I know? I don't think like, women knew what a spleen was. Yeah, I don't think they knew Regardless, where were to medieval with. doctors were... They probably just thought that breathing was supposed to be difficult. Yeah. So, yeah, it took men 600 years to figure out that the corset wasn't healthy. I'm saying men because I assume they were the health professionals, quote-unquote, back then. Yeah, yeah. Simultaneously, feminists wanted to reform clothing to allow women to gain greater roles in society because you can't work if you can't breathe. So there was that. So in our favorite era, the 1800s, there were numerous patents for bra-like apparatuses. Henry S. Lesher of Brooklyn designed a bra that gave breasts, quote, symmetrical rotundity in 1859. Okay. Lumen L. Chapman of Camden, New Jersey, designed the corset substitute in 1863. His design included fabric breast puffs, elastic straps, and whalebone underwire. Is this just stuffing your bra? Like, yeah, it, is that a push-up? 
I think it's some kind of a yeah a a, okay a pillow underneath of some kind. His goal was to eliminate chafing so that it could be quote worn by all females at all times without either inconvenience or injury. Injury. You fucking wear it, bro. I mean, I've definitely had uncomfortable bras, but when were bras chafing? Uh, back. Well, this is when we're changing from corsets to apparently bras. enough. Yeah. It was problematic enough that they were chafing and could cause injury like his goal was to minimize injury (laughs) is it the steel puncturing people i would imagine that's probably part of it just like steel wires over time getting kind of you know poking out through things jab it into you this is alarming but his bra was called the proto bra by historians in 1889 hermione Cadole. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I tried to Granger. look at the pronunciation. Hermione I don't Granger. <laughs> Hermione Granger from France invented the first br- modern bra. Okay. Um, called it the Corselette Gorge. Again, forgive my French. Later renamed Le Bien-Etre, which means the well-being. Okay. This was a two-pieced garment. The lower part was like a waist corset, and the upper part supported the boobies and had shoulder straps. Two pieces? Okay. Yeah. This is, just sounds very involved. I don't even like the one. There was a lot of two-piece things. I think the two-piece ones are often trying to like compensate for the loss of the full corset. So like they're trying yeah. to shape so your So you might as well half. just be a corset. Yeah. <laughs> uh, having that little strip of skin in between maybe helps. I don't know. I aspire to be a corset when I grow up. <laughs> Dream bigger, two-piece. <laughs> oh. You're not oh, helping. I hate it. Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. I know. Like all of this. Right now, I'm, I am braless. I couldn't yeah, wear same. a bra for this segment. Same. <laughs> I'm very braless right now. I'm wearing my wireless bra. One of many. <laughs> my boobies are being kissed by my, my sweater right now, and it's glorious. Pretty much all I wear now is the wireless bra now that I've discovered it. It is so much better. So much better. Excellent. Excellent. By 1905, the upper half of this design that she had was selling separately as the Soutien Gorge, okay. which is still a name for bras that they use in France today. She also introduced elastic into bra making. Whoa. Thank you. 1893, Marie Toussaint patented a garment and hers had separate breast pockets. This is like one of the first times we actually had like two separate pockets for the ladies. Oh, so no uniboob? No uniboob for this one. And she had a metal supportive plate. A plate. No. no. Under the yayas. And then the shoulder straps with the hook and eye closures. Ugh, no. A plate! <laughs> but anyway, this plate, this, which sounds horrifying, was the precursor to the underwire bra. And now we find ourselves in the 20th century. We are finally able to say goodbye to the corset in the 20th century. It took long enough. Jesus. Because of World War I. Because there was a metal shortage. Oh, so not because we evolved. No. <laughs> okay, great. It was because we we're like, we need metal for war equipment. Ladies, please stop buying corsets. I'm shocked they weren't like, never mind the war. We need to control our women. <laughs> What's more important? I'm shocked that that was not the train of thought. Mm-hmm. So women were asked to stop buying corsets so they could use metal for the war. And by not buying these metal-lined constricting contraptions, women saved 
thousand tons of metal, which is enough to roughly to build two battleships. Christ. You're welcome. Battleships made of bras. Booby ships. And so during World War One, women also started working in factories and wearing uniforms for the first time because men were at war. So the women filled in the factory jobs and ain't nobody want to work in a hot factory in a corset. Like, no, nope. not happening. No, thank you. Strong no. pass. Uh uh-uh. uh. Again, you can't work if you can't breathe. In 1910, Mary Phelps Jacob was a 19 year old New York socialite. And she got herself a sheer evening gown for a debutante ball. Okay. The supportive garment of the time, because this is a few years before World War I, was still the corset. And she found that when she put it on under the dress, the whalebone was like poking out from under her neckline and like poking out through the material. And this just was unacceptable to her. Okay. So she and her maid decided to uh, fashion a garment out of two silk handkerchiefs, some pink ribbon and some cords. Essentially, what they made was kind of like a halter top. Like she had like two triangular handkerchiefs that was like strung together and kind of made like a halter top type bra. Okay. And everyone at the ball was like in awe of her homemade titsling. And they were like, oh my God, make me one, please. Yes. A stranger asked her to make one and offered her $1 for it. And she was like, oh, like I could monetize this project. Big money. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. and at the time. Yeah. Yeah. At the time it probably was. I did not look up that translation, inflation translation, if somebody wants to. What year was it? 1910. $1. 28.11. All right. That's not bad for a couple of handkerchiefs and some string. Yeah. Yeah. The margin is great. She patented her balloon cocoon. <laughs> I love that one. Balloon cocoon. <laughs> In 1914. Christ. She called it the backless bra, and it was like lightweight, soft, comfortable, supportive. Imagine that. So weird. Right? We let women do that? Let women be too much freedom. Yeah, no. I don't like it. We would never let Eve do that. She is a sinner. She's allowed to breathe way too much. Breathing leads to talking. Talking leads to ideas. Ideas are men's territory. Especially, yeah, and if you're breathing, you're getting more oxygen, more I was going to say, yeah, more oxygen to that brain. No You might be thinking. How dare you think? Know your place. Exactly. She later changed her name to Carice Crosby and began selling her product at department stores, but growing her business was kind of slow going at the time. Her dumbass husband, Harry Crosby, thought that the whole project was pointless and said you should just close up shop. Of course you would. Right. He's a fucking idiot. Because she You're sold her dumb. patent, she sold her patent to the Warner Brothers corset company for fifteen hundred dollars, which is Warner Brothers had a corset. I want to believe that that's the Warner Brothers that created the Animaniacs. <laughs> I want to believe it. I want to believe that happen. too, but I don't think it is. Isn't nope, there like a Warner is. bra company still today? We're the Animaniacs. Oh, yeah, Warner. Yeah, Warner. Yeah, Warner lingerie. Yeah, it still exists. Not Warner Brothers. Well, it's Did you say it says Warner Brothers. Yeah, Warner Brothers Corset Company. But I guess they're now just Warners. She sold it for the $1,500, which today is 23000 And then Warner Damn. went on to make $15 million over the next 30 years. Oh. Yeah. That's less. Fuck okay. you, Harry. You dumbass. God damn it, Harry. Yeah, she was 19 at the time. 30 years later, she would have been 50. With $15 million. Very successful, though, for 19. So the war ended and women had no desire to strap back into a corset because fuck that. 
Not after yeah. experiencing the joy of taking a full breath for the first time. Yep. And times were a changing for the ladies. We could vote. Excellent. We could get an education, work outside the home, play sports ball. You know, all, all the, the sports balls. Mm-hmm. Not get paid the same yet. That's no, not, no, no, no. That Mm-mm, still hasn't no. happened. Mm, no. We don't do that. It's been, it's been 100 years. We're still waiting for that. Yeah, sure. Now are. we're entering the flapper era in the 1920s. The flapper look was the slim, boyish silhouette with a flat chest. So women were wearing this bandeau-style bra to flatten themselves out. Yeah, no curves, no hips, no bubbies. Just like, flatten it all out. I wouldn't have been a great flapper. Prepubescent boy. Yeah, me either. I'm too doughy. (laughs) 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 I'm too doughy to be a flapper. (laughs) Oh my god. So larger chested women would have to use a Symington side lacer bra, which was this bra that like bandeau style bra that laced on the sides, which would pull the jugs down and squish them flat as as flat as possible. Is it bandeau? Bandeau? I thought it was bandeau. Bandeau? I thought it was bandeau, but I don't know that. I don't know. I do not know that. Bandeau pronunciation. Bando. Huh. Who knew? Bando. I did. <laughs> I said Bando. I mean, did I say Bando? You what said Bando. <laughs> well, now we I don't know what I said. literally just bandeau. arguing that it was Bando. <laughs> yeah. I know. I can't remember what I said. Bando. Okay. Well, it's a Bando. Okay. It's a Bando. As I said, it's a Bando. <laughs> I... <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> In 1922, a Russian immigrant and seamstress named Ida Rosenthal, along with her husband and the shop owner she worked for, they had an epiphany. Oh my God, what is it? Guys, did you ever realize that not all titties are the same? No. What? That there's like a vast range of size and shape among titties. They can be bell-shaped. They can be- <laughs> So were these just like flying with reckless abandon? It was pretty much like a... I want to say one size fits all, I think, one but like a very few size fits all type thing Okay, with the bandeau bras. They did notice that there was different sizes and shapes. So they changed the shape of the bandeau to enhance and support your bazongas. Well, I think that's the thing about bandeaus, though, is that they're kind of like not shapeless. Like, obviously, they have a shape, but they... They don't really distinguish shapes within no, it, them. It creates it just kind makes of one a shelf, yeah, kind like of flattened monoboob. Uniboob. Yeah, the uniboob. But they they modified it, okay, for different body shapes, different booby shapes, and started a company called Maidenform. Ever heard of it? Oh, yes, I like yes, them. Mm-hmm. classic OG. They deliberately named it this because it was contrasting their direct competitor. Boyish form company. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were coming out of the flapper era. Yeah, this is this is. I mean, this is like mid flapper era. But yeah, like they actually called it boyish form. Why? Ew. I'm sorry. It's just kind of creepy. That's what the men want these days. Mm -hmm. I hate it. Boys figure. Health professionals at this time were campaigning against tamping down your sweater stretchers. Because they linked <laughs> breast care and comfort to motherhood and lactation. Who would have thought? Weird. <laughs> Might be bad to flatten your boobs. So Maiden Form began making bras 
that lifted and accentuated rather than squashed and flattened your jigglypuffs. <laughs> that one too. <laughs> In 1927, Maiden Form was patenting nursing and full-figured bras as well. What? We get to the 1930s now, and we begin calling it a bra. S.H. Camp and Company gave us the cup sizes we know today, the ABCD situation, which initially, supposedly, were supposed to represent ounces. An A was Mm. 8 ounces, B 13, C 21, D 27, and yes, I did try to weigh my boobs on my kitchen scale. (laughs) (laughs) well i know that's why for science for science or they say like when you're getting implants and stuff that they don't like guarantee you a size like if you're like oh i want to go from this size to this size they're like we can confirm that that is true when you have a reduction we measure in volume or like basically yeah. wait. So it's like the ounces of the implant is what they. Yeah. So you, you can about. say like, if you could, what your is your aspirational yeah. size? And like you give them whatever and they say, okay, well we can get you to, you know, whatever, but they don't, they don't make guarantees. Right. Because well, also like what I technically measure to is not what I end up wearing personally. So like, it's hard to say, you know, what, what company are you buying from? Like mm-hmm. what, what style are you going with? I feel like that all causes variation. Cause like I always mm-hmm. measure to a certain size and then I have to like keep the band size and go up a couple, a couple cup sizes in order to actually like not get quadruboobs. So, I mean, you can't guarantee anything. Yeah. But anyway, could not get an accurate measurement of my boob weight because it's really hard to not lean on the scale. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. You would have to do like displacement with water or something. Like, I don't know. I don't how were they fucking measuring boob ounces back then? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. This wasn't the standardized measurement that we have today that I explained earlier though. Like for example, like back then, if the fullest part of your breast was 34 inches, but they your boobs looked small, they would be like, "All right, you're a 34A." Like it was kind of just like a the judgment guessing call. game. Yeah, yeah. It was like a little bit more subjective. Tit holsters began having adjustable bands with multiple hook and eye clasps. And we saw innovations such as elastic, ooh, ah, adjustable straps, cup sizes, and padding. And the department stores started hiring saleswomen and had like specialized fitting areas where women could get sized. And those saleswomen actually went through fitting training courses. So they knew how to properly measure tatas. Huh. So at this point in time, we had moved away from the squashed chest pancakes to pointed waffle cone titties so that women needed to get a fitted garment in order to achieve this horrifyingly unnatural look because no one has natural Gross. waffle cone titties. No. And then we get to the 1940s, World War II rolls around, and we know how world wars affect the boobies. They do. <laughs> <laughs> Women were again mobilized to help out in the war effort. This time, some of them were actually enlisted in the military at lower ranks, and they were fitted with, like, uniform underwear. Okay. Women who stayed home and worked in factories while the men were at war got to wear the plastic safety bra. Ooh. hmm Plastic. Oh, no. Yeah. Plastic. Sounds comfy. This was advertised as patriotic duty as well as physical protection for your coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. Factory dress codes often required bras because of, quote, good taste, anatomical support, and morale. It's better for company morale if women wore breast protection. 
fuck you. You know, you can injure dem boobies. Mm-hmm. Gotta protect dem titties. Tatas. Dem titties. Protect dem mm-hmm. titties. Bras are still cone-shaped at this point, and they were then given military-inspired names such as torpedo bras or bullet bras. <laughs> no, thank you. Nope. Which I think is an accurate description, though, if you look at these pictures. I would like to be excluded from this narrative. They were kind of torpedo-like at the time. I feel like those are better names for dildos or vibrators. Yes. And they prob- and, mm. Well, I know at least one is. I don't know of a mm. torpedo yeah. vibrator, but I'm sure they're out there. <laughs> torpedo vibrator. I believe in the industry, in the vibrator industry, mm-hmm. and that they created something like this. These torpedo bras were designed for maximum protection against what? I'm not entirely sure. But also, Hollywood was promoting the bullet bra. Well, then there you go. Probably protection from workplace hazards or something. I mean, were they made of steel? Like a steel-tipped boot and then steel-tipped bras. Bulletproof boobies. Bulletproof bullet bras. Sweater girls became a thing. They were known as the nope. busty, wholesome girl next door type who wore tight sweating fetter tight nope. fitting sweaters. Try tight that again. Fitting sweaters over their bullet bras. Okay. Manufacturers were somewhat limited by material shortages related to the war. And some companies began making parachutes and tents as well as bras in order to stay afloat because I mean it's the natural progression, right? You mentioned one of the companies, I think the one that came up with the cup sizes was mm-hmm. a camping company. No, like I think that, had- was the, that was the guy's last name. Oh. Oh. That was SH Camp and Company. I think that was a, a name. Oh. I thought it was like an outdoor sporting goods brand. No. <laughs> that was like, we're going to get into the bra business. Here we well, go. Well, the bra business got into the tent and parachute business. <laughs> because what is a bra if not a titty tent? <laughs> <laughs> titty tent. LOL. I, so... Uh, the war also separated the U.S. from Europe, like divided them a little bit. So the U.S. got to develop its own styles. Moving into the 1950s, the war was over. More materials became available. This era became known as bosom mania. Oh, oh boy. The baby boom led to the production of maternity and nursing bras. Sure. And more access to television led to more advertising. Uh, manufacturers started going with new fabrics, colors, patterns, styles, etc. There was more variety available. Hollywood continued to be an influence, and for some reason, they chose to influence with the torpedo look still. And preteens began doing training bras. Did you guys do training bras? I feel like I I did that in middle school. I might have, like, I don't really remember Mm. that well. I feel like it was just, like, a sports bra, essentially. Yeah, Yeah, I I feel like it was just a sports bra, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A little something before you graduated to... To, To like, a real one. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it was like a really long period. I don't really remember them very well. I remember doing it in like middle school, I think. I think I just had the shirts with those stupid built in. I think I had the shelf. Yeah. I don't remember having like a training bra. Well, maybe. I think it was just in like sixth and seventh grade. But yeah, it was essentially a sports bra from what I remember. Anyway. In the 1960s, we got the washing machine, which I am so happy we did. That drove a demand for more durable bras because women didn't want to wash them by hand anymore. Also, for some reason, manufacturers began advertising sleep bras. 
So you could wear a bra 24 no. hours a day. Yeah, no. yeah. No, thank you. Isn't that not like, not only does it sound it's uncomfortable not and horrible. Yeah, it's like not medically advised. Not anymore, but back then they thought it was yeah. a good idea, apparently. Yeah, I want to be excluded from that narrative. Cave, yeah, no, thank you. In 1964, a man named Rudy Gernreich released the No Bra, which was a soft, lightweight, sheer bra, which promoted a more natural hooter shape instead of the torpedo. All right. Well, we're getting into that. Yep. Also, that same year, the Wonder Bra came around. The Wonder Bra had 54 design elements to help lift and support your ladies while creating a deep plunge and pushed together look. That Negative is points. some elaborate engineering right there. Yeah. Imagine if we put these resources toward like curing cancer. <laughs> Imagine if the bra people I mean, were in the cancer still business. Largely suck, so they need to put more research. So into we're it. not we're not doing well there either. Yeah. Have we done anything good? <laughs> I'm gonna sidetrack for a minute and tell you a story about the Wall Street sweater girl. This is the story that I first heard that made me go down this whole like booby rabbit hole. I thought it was just your personal journey. To find it was kind of a little bit of both. I heard this story, and then I thought of my own journey, and then they kind of combined into this whole segment. Okay. In 1968, there was a woman named Francine Gottfried, who was 21 at the time, very well endowed. And she sported sure. the classic sweater girl look with a torpedo bra and the fitted sweater. She got a job at a bank in New York City in late August 1968. And a group of men started noticing her walking the same route to work every day, and they would ogle her as she went by. Of course they would. I really just hope this ends in like they try to pull something on her and she actually shoots literal torpedoes out of her boobs. She does not. I'm sorry <laughs> to disappoint you, but that's not what happens. Rude. Worst story ever. They spread the word to other creepers they knew. And then over a period of three weeks, crowds got bigger and bigger to spectate and catcall this poor woman who was just trying to go to work. She's just living her life. Right. On September 18th, there were literally 2,000 people lined what? up to watch her walk to work. Stop it. Just to see a woman with her boobs walk by. Yes. With her A well-endowed woman walk by with her sweater. Yes. That is so rude. Then people started like coming just to see the size of the crowd, which made the crowd even bigger. The next day on the 19th, 5,000 people were waiting for her arrival. That is not necessary. Police had to block off roads and escort her through the mobs, and three cars were damaged by assholes climbing on top of them trying to get a better view of her tatas. But misogyny doesn't exist. The right. patriarchy doesn't exist. Fuck all Jesus of this, right? Fucking Christ. People were like leaning out windows to get a peek of her peaks, and then stock trading of that day essentially came to a halt during the time of her like jaunt to work because people were too distracted by this one woman's what? boobs. God. On September 20th, September 20th, there were 10,000 people waiting for her. Don't they have jobs? Right. What is everyone doing? But she never showed because her boss called her to ask her to stay home in order to stop the spectacle. Which gives me like angry feminist vibes of like girls at school being asked to change their attire and their behavior so they don't distract boys. But I kind of get it because 10,000 fucking people were trying to watch her tatas. Yeah. Ugh, I wouldn't want to go to work. Eventually, she started taking like a different route to work, and it all stopped. But it's like how fucking absurd that people just wanted to like watch her torpedo tits walk by. I hate it. I'm yeah. very angry now. I know. Me too. In the 1970s, we finally got the sports bra. 
three women, Lisa Landl, Hinda Millie, and Polly Smith, got into jogging in the late 1970s, and they found bras god-awful to run in. Yeah. One day, Linda's <laughs> husband was jokingly took his own jock strap, put it upside down on his chest, like a bra, and they all laughed about it. But then they were like, light bulb. And they decided to, <laughs> they sewed together two jock straps, but the fabric wasn't right. So they ended up finding some new material, played around with it a bit, and came up with a prototype for the sports bra. Linda tested it by running while Hinda ran backwards in front of her, watching her tickle bitties move to see if it was good. And they called this the jock bra, later called the jog bra. And now we can exercise in comfort. I feel like it shouldn't have taken that long to get to a sport bra. Like, it's not as technologically, like, advanced. I mean, I guess with compression bras and stuff like that. Well, women weren't supposed to be, like, doing anything, you know? I mean, we started out with literally, like, a piece of wool fabric wrapped around and pinned in the back. I mean, right. it should not have taken that long, but it did. Also, in the 1970s, we started standardizing bra sizing a little bit better. In the beginning, the way I described how how things are done, you know, the band and the boob size, Mm -hmm. that became a little more standardized. The number referred to your measurement under your boob. And the bra size became the difference between your boob size and your band size. Women were not used to this system, though, because before, like, remember, they measured just the boob size, and that was 34 or something, and then if they were small, they were an A. So manufacturers didn't want to, like... Have to produce so much variety. Right. Well, they were... No, the problem was, like, oh, women are used to a 34 being a certain size, a 34A being a certain size, but by... If we were to do it by the band size underneath their breasts, they would actually be a 30 or whatever. Right. And they thought it'd be too confusing. So instead of just changing the numbers and letting women adapt to that, they told them to start adding four or five, uh, like I explained to you at the beginning. And that's why we have this right. like asinine system of getting your bands, like your actual measurement and then adding yeah. four or five to it. Like if you measure underneath your boobs, it's not going to be the number that you actually get your bra in. It's, just, it's so fucking stupid. Yeah. That's why, like, my band size is 32, but I measure to a 28. Like, it's a, it makes no fucking sense. But they were just like, well, women can't handle, like, the change. Like, their little women brains can't handle it. So Ugh. we're just going to... People say that, like, women are bad at math. Them. But, like, really, this is just n- not intuitive. Like, no, it's stupid. It's so stupid. Ugh. In the 1980s, Quote, Western TV shows featured classy, powerful, and well-formed ladies usually donning low-cut tops to show an enhanced chest with an equally classy matching bra. Showing off your bra, your fashionable bra at red carpet events was kind of the norm at this time. Wearing a classy bra under your power suit in the 80s. All right. Good for you. In the 90s, we emphasized fashion over function, which is where we started adding things like lace and other uncomfortable features to look sexy. We said, fuck comfort, fuck function. Let's just be sexy. It's probably when Victoria's Secret is the most popular. I mean, I feel like comfort was always fucked. In the 2000s, we saw a demand for more minimalist bras to allow for plunging necklines and reduce visibility under clothing. Also, body sizes were increasing at this time, or like people were starting to notice it. So they started making like larger sizes that didn't used to be available. The 2000s also brought us the molded one-piece seamless bra cup, such as the classic t-shirt bra that we all know now. Sure. And it brought us colorful patterns because everything was much more colorful in the early 2000s, I feel like. That's fair. 
2010s till today, there's been an increased demand for bralettes and soft bras. Victoria's Secret popularity has gone down significantly in this time period. Cleavage-boosting bras dropped 45% in 2017, and simultaneously, wireless bras sales increased by 40%. Really? These changes are attributed to multiple things, two main things, a new focus on like health, well-being, and athleticism rather than the male gaze. Like, we're kind of like, fuck men. We're going to mm-hmm. do what's good for we're us. We're not wearing these for you. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the Me Too movement probably yeah, had a, little, a role in this. We're like, fuck it. I'm not going to wear this uncomfortable push-up bra to attract men and do what they want. I'm going to wear what's comfortable and functional for me. And in 2020, bralettes also became very popular. Can't imagine why. <laughs> there was Any nothing thoughts? going on in the world at that point. I don't know what so. happened in 2020 to make people want to wear like more comfortable bras. More Weird. comfortable everything. Yeah, I would have <laughs> thought bra sales just like stopped entirely yeah <laughs> honestly who's buying pros they did for me mm-hmm. just like focus your zoom camera like above your like boob exactly line and... look at my face not at my boobs nobody knows <laughs> that is the history of tit taming throughout the ages thanks i hate it and now you understand why bra shopping is exceedingly frustrating and a nonsensical process if you manage to find one you like, I recommend that you should just go out and get it in every color because yep. that's a diamond in the rough. If you find yep. one you like, like just get like 10,000 of them because you're not going to find that again. That is also how I feel about pants. Yes. <laughs> when I find the right jeans, I get them in like dark wash and light wash. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because every, you know. every color. Yep. Yep. Also, I'm still looking for a comfortable strapless bra, so please email Harpy Hour. It doesn't exist. I just bought one this weekend. <laughs> if you have any recommendations, please and thank you. I just bought one this weekend for uh, my rehearsal dinner dress. Is it comfortable? Yeah. I mean, as comfortable as strapless bras can be. Yeah, we all have to put that qualifier. It's comfortable yeah. for a strapless. Exactly. If you want to hear more of our rants about our boulder shoulder holder over the shoulder <laughs> boulder holders. There you go. You can listen to Harpy Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen, please rate us and leave us a glowing, spectacular, arousing review. Knocker lockers. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have complaints about your titty slings? Is that one of them? Or do you have recommendations for a strapless titty sling? Or recommendations. We <laughs> yeah. want your recommendations. Yeah. Or one I would like a recommendation like. for a comfortable strapless titty sling. You can share those with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Harpy Hour Pod. And you can also email us at harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com. Do it. And we are also on Patreon. Bras are expensive, so please help support us on Patreon so we can afford to tame our titties. We have different levels and all kinds of extra content and goodies for you there. So check it out. Different levels of our boobs. <laughs> You're talking about yeah, our boobs. Yeah, <laughs> we each have I mean, a we different do have, level of boobs. We do have a variety of titties. Yes, we do. We do. Yeah, we do. We have a variety, <laughs> uh, but also we have a variety of levels on Patreon for you to uh, check out. So please. Help support us so we can help support us. I hate it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, Okay, bye. bye. Bye.
Oh my God, you did it. 